Are you ready for the word this morning? All right, we're going to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read to us in verses 36 through 41. Acts chapter 15, 36 through 41. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are. 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, it says, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So let's first look at verse 39. It says, And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Uh, Like me, you've probably never seen this verse on a refrigerator or someone's wall. It's not one of those. A sharp disagreement so that they separated from one one another. Uh, What's interesting here is that it doesn't just say that they had a disagreement, but the Scripture's wanting us to know that it was a sharp disagreement. All right, when I looked up the root word for that phrase, sharp disagreement, in the Hebrew and Greek, it comes from the word uh, paroxuno, which has the picture of being provoked to anger. All right, one definition even, even describes it as burning with anger. All right, so Paul and Barnabas, they're not having this, like, nice sit down, you share what's on your heart about the matter, and I'll understand you. And then I'll share what's on my heart about the matter. You find understanding for me. And then we'll f- try to find some middle ground and have a nice chat about it. Uh, it says their contention was sharp. All right? They were angry about it. Their voices were raised. Uh, and their stance was being made known to one another. So let's stop there. So when I, when I look at this passage, I, you know, I certainly do not want to, to say that we should find ourselves in sharp disagreements for the sake of the gospel. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but I do believe that we have a, a false unity problem in the church at large. Uh, it, it says and it, it looks like everyone just being polite and everyone being unconfrontational about important biblical matters uh, and appearing to get along because like, that's what our sweet and passive Jesus mentality would do. And, you know, when we look at the spirit of the apostles that were with Jesus and have been with him, it's the spirit of engaging and persevering in truth and on their assignment, and they're out there carving up the culture. And so what we've got today is the majority of our leaders and our pastors, they don't want to get involved with culture. They don't want to uh, get involved and bring the word of God into education or into politics or into media and so forth. And the devil is like, oh, hey, that's great. You all stay out of all that over there. Don't speak up about your biblical convictions. You all just keep keeping the peace. And while you're all unifying nicely, then I'll take over the mountains of influence in your communities, in your cities, in your regions, and I'll shape the next generation. 
You know, the devil's going, hey, you, you, you all just keep looking for revival. Keep trying to one-up the other churches in your city with your programs and your presentations so that believers will just keep church hopping to the next new thing, to the next new place of revival, and then they won't plant for long-term transformation and reformation. You all just keep that up, and I'll keep planting people in high places of influence in your city, in your state, and in your nation. You know, the devil can sow too. The devil can sow too. Uh, Matthew 13, 37 through 39, it says, he answered, this is Jesus, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. Uh, Verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Then it says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So it shows us here the field is the world, right? Jesus says that the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Uh, But it says, he also teaches, the weeds are the sons of the evil one who also get sown. sown. So uh, the sons of the devil get planted too. All right, Satan, what he does is he plants people in strategic places of influence to take over the places that God's people should be occupying. All right, for 13 years, 13 years, Abraham thought that Ishmael was the move of God, but Isaac was coming. And we've always, you know, we want a revival move of God. But crying out for revival is certainly not bad. It's actually a really good thing. It's needed. But we, we, we can now see, we now see that it, it is a bit of an adolescent solution to the problems we're seeing in the earth. Uh, because it's time to mature. We've got to mature. And we must understand that revival is for awakening amongst believers in the church. It's for reviving something that has no life. It's about Christians awakening to the Lord and to the supernatural. It's about recovering our first love. And we need revival. We need revival. There must be revival in the house. Hallelujah. But then we must allow the revival we are experiencing in the Lord to bring us into his holy refining fire and make a decision to grow and mature. We must take the the revival and the awakening and, and the transforming refining holy fire to the earth. All right. And that's where we move into reformation. All right, uh, that's where we go ye therefore into all the world, as the scriptures say. So if, if revival is a move of God amongst his people, then reformation is the move of God's people. All right, revival is personal and reformation is institutional. All right, revival is like Rachel and reformation is like Leah. Everyone wants Rachel, don't they? You see, Jacob, in the scriptures, he fell in love with Rachel because she was so beautiful. And then you see Leah was over here, and she was the less attractive other sister. All right, no one seems to want Leah because it requires perseverance. It requires submitting fully to the timing and to the way in which God wants to move, and it requires maturity. But no one wants to, seems to want Leah Yet Leah was what produced the tribe of Judah. It says in Matthew 2, 6, And you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. So the Savior of the world came out from the line of the woman that Jacob did not want. So revival is needed. 
It's needed for the backslidden. It's needed for the compromised. It's needed for the wounded and for, for baby Christians. And the Lord, he uses revival for un- unbelievers. It's for a great harvest. Hallelujah. We just can't think that revival is a way around everything that's going on. Or if revival breaks out, hallelujah, yet we don't move uh, into reformation and occupy the gates of influence, then Jesus said in Matthew 12, the house is swept clean and in order, but it's not occupied. And if not, then the devil will come back with seven more spirits. That's why you see uh, where areas that experience revival, they often end up being worse than before the revival came. You can study revival history and see that this is true. It's because revival didn't lead to reformation where gates of influence in a city or in a territory or in a region were then occupied by the sons of the kingdom. The devil does not care how big your church is. He cares about how much influence you have at the gates of power. And the Lord says to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church. Notice he didn't say your church. He said it's my church. Uh, but the word there for, uh, for, for build my church, it doesn't mean in size. It means in strength. All right, the word for build there is oikodomeo, and it means to build up from the foundation. And then there's a sub-definition that, that says even if it requires restoration. All right, it has a picture of establishing something and growing it in wisdom. And what is the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. That's a message I've already shared, preached to you. But so what he's saying, Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I will build my church even if it requires restoration. I'll establish it and grow it in wisdom, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you see, Reformation, it occupies and it restores territory as it deals with foundations and structures and strongholds. And Reformation requires gatekeepers. It requires gatekeepers because gatekeepers occupy and they build in the fear of the Lord with wisdom and authority. And then they make sure that no compromised or profane thing of the evil one gets in. All right, They keep the weeds out so that the sons of the kingdom sown by the Son of Man can bring forth the harvest, so that the Son of God, Jesus, may be glorified. That includes the nations as his inheritance. Hallelujah. So don't, don't make, as I'm you know, briefly talking about this Reformation this morning, and as we're beginning to move into talking about gatekeepers for a few moments here, don't, don't make Reformation something that's only for a few called people, and I'll just, you know, cheer them on. Don't make Reformation or being a reformer or a gatekeeper as something only set aside for influential church leaders or for top-tier government leaders or for highly regarded CEOs or influential arts and entertainment companies and voices uh, in our society because first and foremost, we need gatekeepers in the home. We need gatekeepers in the home. That's where it starts. We need every man in this house and in this city to draw a line and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That say, I will not leave my post. I will not fall asleep at my post because I will not allow society to indoctrinate, to demoralize, and attack the ones I've been entrusted with to love and to protect and to empower and to serve. And as you know, the, the crosshairs are on the men right now. They're on the men. They're trying to emasculate men. And they're trying to take away the God-given strength of the man in every sphere of society. 
And honestly, uh, women, uh, the way in which our society and our culture is right now, women, you are actually in a strategic position to be a voice for men in this very hour to, and say, men, this is your, your time. And to say, uh, I will not partner with the demonic assignment of tearing down the man's leadership in our homes and in our communities, at the gates of influence, and in the territories that need to be occupied and restored as kingdom territory. Yeah, and I shared, I shared at the beginning of this year, you know, when the five-fold ministry team was giving prophetic words for the new year, that one of the words from the Lord uh, I was getting for the body of Christ was bring forth the gardeners. Bring forth the gardeners. And I just, I shared that some of us, you know, we've been holding up the sword for a long time and standing on ground of promise. But I saw the Lord where he was actually exchanging for many of you the sword in your hand for garden tools in your hand. And that there's a divine opportunity and invitation to now cultivate and tend to and cause to grow what's been sown and planted. And so this word has only gained momentum for me as we're talking about being gatekeepers this morning. uh, Because one of the roles of a gatekeeper that cannot be overlooked is being a cultivator of the assignment that has been entrusted to you. And notice in our passage today, in Acts chapter 15, that before there was a sharp disagreement uh, between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark going with them or not, Paul says, let us return, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So you see, Paul understood that what has been planted needs tending to. He understood and said, let us return and garden the soil and water the seeds. And if you're familiar with Paul's ministry, you know there was also absolutely some pruning and correction for growth going on as well. So I want to give you this morning two keys to becoming a gatekeeper and a gardener. Two keys to becoming a gatekeeper and a gardener. These are not the only keys, but they are two major keys, I believe. Uh, in becoming and being a gatekeeper and gardener in the kingdom of heaven, and they are discernment and assignment. Discernment and assignment. So let's start with discernment. We must develop the ability to discern and know who and what we are dealing with on a daily basis. All right, not every situation and not every person is the same. And also not every one of us is built the same, which we'll talk more about in just a moment on assignment. But we have to be able to discern whether the loving kindness of God is going to be necessary for a specific moment or if the bold resistance to evil is the solution. All right, if someone breaks into my house, Uh, There's no kind and loving conversation going on or that's going to take place. Okay, at that point, there is only bold resistance necessary that takes out the evil that's attempting to harm my family. That also is the loving kindness of the Father that protects from evil. Okay, you're not going to ask an intruder if you can kindly read a few Bible stories to them. All right, no, they're about to have a personal encounter with the wrath of the Father, right? All right, then let me say this while we're here. We've got a lot of break-ins going on in the spirit realm. I was feeling that 
uh, the, to, to release this. We've got a, a lot of break-ins going on in the spirit realm, going in the house right now. There's been illegal break-ins in the family and in the house of the Lord or in your calling or in your emotions or in your bodies or in your visions and assignments against your children. And the Lord is saying that if there has been a break-in by the enemy with an attempt to steal, kill, and destroy what I have given to you, what I have says, what I have said is yours, said the, says the Lord, then you have a right to take it out. Yes, come on. How many of us remember the story of Deborah in the Bible, uh, in Judges? In the book of Judges, she was a prophet. She was a judge in Israel. And during the time of Deborah, the wicked general, Sisera, who was killing the Jews, uh, he was fleeing from the army of Israel, and he came into the tent dwelling of a woman by the name of Jael. And it's then that he came into the tent where he was then covered and hidden under a rug inside her tent. All right, how many of us know the devil likes to hide? All right, discerning wisdom. Discerning wisdom is one of the devil's biggest fears because once his evil schemes are exposed and brought into the true light of Jesus, it always drives out the darkness and the truth always sets people free. And so the wicked general, he's in J.L.'s tent. Uh, she had given him some warm milk, and uh, he became sleepy. And he's hiding under a rug from the armies of Israel. And Jael, while he's hiding and getting sleepy, Jael, she goes over to him, and she drives a tent peg through his temple. All right? This then, that moment, be- began, became the beginning of the end of the Canaanites' reign over Israel. All right? Jael wasn't looking for it. It came to her. It came into her territory. If the wicked general of deception, of disorder, of division, of oppression, or any kind of darkness comes into your promises, into your family, into your place of leadership, you have a right and responsibility to take it out. There's three different types of people we see talked about most often in the Bible. They are the wise the foolish and the evil, the wise, the foolish and the evil. And as gatekeepers and gardeners, if we don't recognize who is who and discern who is who, then we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble and a lot of unnecessary strife and heartache. If you're naturally a trusting person and believing in other persons, believing in other people type of person, then you tend to think of others the same way. And this can be a really incredible gift to others and a really used really powerful in the kingdom. But you may be trusting people even more than Jesus would according to the scriptures. Because Jesus is the great discerner of hearts. And at the end of John chapter 2, it says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them. It says, for he knew all people, he knew what was in their hearts. And when you read this passage, passage, the people here that it's referring to that Jesus would not trust, they were actually people that even believed in his name. All right, he loved them. He came to lay his life down for them, but he didn't trust them. All right, he had an, an assignment. And in order to stay on his assignment, he had to be a discerner of hearts. Church, it's not a game what's coming after our children. Kelly already opened it up this morning. It's not a game what's coming after our children, the children of this generation. Stop trusting everyone and everything to teach your children. Historians have concluded that 
you can't always determine when a nation or when an empire is doing well. And when they're at that point uh, in history or that point in time where they're becoming uh, the, the, gold, the golden standard uh, in the world, you can't always pinpoint that shift and beginning point. But uh, that they've discovered you can look at history and you can see and know the point in which that nation or empire began to decline. You can see that, that moment in time. And there's a lot of things that they've studied that you can look to determine that, to determine a nation or empire's decline. Uh, but one of them that really jumps out at me is this. It is that when the children in a nation begin not to be children anymore. It's when the children begin to live in an adult world where they're not protected by immoral things and they're exposed to things that they're just too young to be exposed to and they, they begin to become a part of an adult's world in a nation that's not safeguarding and protecting the innocence and uh, the minds of children from profane and perverse culture. And if we're going to be gatekeepers and gardeners in the kingdom for such a time as this, then we must discern the spirits that are at work that are at work to expose children to evil and trying to turn them into little old men and little old women. Ask any teacher in the public classroom, uh, and they will tell you that kids in these days, they know, they know way too much about things they shouldn't know about. Yeah. Is there any teachers that can confirm that? We have any teachers here? Leslie? Yeah. It, it used to be said, man, that 15-year-old sure does have a filthy mouth. You know, and now it's, man, that... That five-year-old, that six-year-old sure does have a filthy mouth. And we've got too many children turning into old men and, and women as a child because they've been exposed to too much, and it's heartbreaking. I don't want my children to hear that so-and-so has two mommies or two daddies. Our children, they don't need an opportunity to be exposed to feminine men. And images of half-clothed half people on the Internet or TikTok or whatever else it is. Look at where we are. Our society is saying that children at eight years old should be able to choose their gender. This is wicked insanity. But I do have good news for you this morning. Because I believe that the gatekeepers and the gardeners are coming forth and beginning to arise and shine. And we've got to ask the question, now are they willing to drive the tent peg into evil that comes into their territory? There was a time in history called the Dark Ages, and it was a horrific time in history. I mean, it, we don't have time to go into it, but uh, the moment of significance that, you know, historians have discovered was the end of the Dark, dark Ages. And it was this moment, and it marked the beginning of a new age out of that darkness into a new age. That moment was when the Gutenberg printing press was invented. And when the Gutenberg printing press was invented, uh, the very first book that was pr printed was the Bible. It was the Bible. 
For so long during the Dark Ages, the Bible, it had been removed from society. Uh, It was widely unavailable and taken into only the hands of a few uh, who then began to interpret it the way they saw fit and with an agenda which led to more manipulation, more oppression of people in those times. It was a time of wickedness. It was a time of immorality. It was a time of darkness. But then someone began to discern the times. Someone discerned the times and got on an assignment. Someone got on an assignment as they discerned the times and they drove a tent peg through wickedness when they created the ability to print the Bible and begin to make it available to the world again. And when the word of God came back into society, so did life, so did hope, so did morality begin to come back a little at a time, so did wisdom start to come back and peace and joy and righteousness and took people out of the dark ages. Do not trust what's in man's heart as Jesus didn't to teach and guide your life and your children to the way in which they should go into their divine assignment and into their blessing. Trust the truth of the word of of God to bring you and your children and the people you are leading into divine assignment, into freedom, and into blessing. It's the B-I-B-L-E. How many of you remember the song? It's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Somebody better start saying, I'll stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Because we've got the light of God's word, and when his word enters, light enters. You've got wise people, you've got foolish people, you've got evil people. Real quick, the the way to discern who a wise person is is to look for humility. If there is no humility, there is no wisdom. The wise are interested in growing in wisdom, and they are teachable. It's not about being smart. Uh, A smart person can still be a fool, and at the same time, a less than a smart person Uh, can be wise because of their humility. When you're dealing with someone that is wise, if you're a business owner, if you're in leadership over a a group of people, this will help you. When you're dealing with someone that is wise, it doesn't have to be as big of a concern that they are going to mess up. Because if and when they mess up, they will take responsibility for it, they'll grow from it, and they'll learn from it. All right, but the foolish person is the opposite. The foolish, the best way to discern a foolish person is they reject and they resist feedback and correction. Proverbs 9.8 says the mocker will hate you. And how many of you know it's miserable when you partner with someone and you're so nice to someone and you give them all your energy when God never required you to? Meanwhile, you're getting drained, you're getting abused, you're getting taken advantage of because you lacked discernment. Paul says in Titus 3.10, he says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. So this tells us that on the third time, you are, then responsib- you are the ones responsible on the third time for allowing yourself to be taken advantage of. In Titus 3.3, it says, we were ourselves uh, once foolish. So there is, there is grace, Absolutely. There is grace, but there is a difference in who we extend grace to in the name of Jesus and who we link arms with for our assignment in the Great Commission. Often grace and love extended to a fool looks like letting them live in the consequences of their actions. I know in my personal life, I have grown and learned the most from consequences. You need a spanking sometimes. 
You need a spanking sometimes. The prodigal son comes home, but that doesn't happen if he gets bailed out every time and rescued. And foolish people, they blame circumstances, they blame people, they blame the devil, they blame the weather, you name it, and it's getting blamed. They are always the victims. Uh, They may be intelligent, they may be charming, they may be charismatic, a high performer, but when it comes to submission and growing in maturity, they kick and they don't take in truth. They justify and defend everything they do, and that's a fool. That's a fool. And if if you do not have discernment to see this, then your vict- the, their victim mentality will cause you then to become a victim of their inability to be humble and to grow. And then we've got uh, evil people. We've already talked uh, uh, about evil and wickedness and discernment against it, so I'm going to be short here. But Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 and 3, pray for us that we are delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Hallelujah. Evil people are only interested in causing you harm. So you have to protect yourself and others from the evil. Now Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But we can't confuse love and pray with trust and partner. Paul didn't say pray for us to have an anointing to convert the evil people. He said pray that we won't have anything to do with them and be delivered. I'm going to close. I'm getting close. Uh, I'm going to close talking about assignment for a minute. I've got more good news for you this morning. Are you ready for some more good news? Your assignment can be different than your brother's assignment or your sister's assignment. Isn't that good news? Isn't that freedom? Back to Acts 15 where we started. There was a sharp disagreement because, you see, Barnabas, he wanted to take John Mark with them on the mission. But Paul says, no, I don't want John Mark to go with us because he says, Barnabas, remember how he left us in Pamphylia and didn't finish the mission. And what we're looking at here in this disagreement uh, in this passage is two people, two brothers with the same heart and passion for the gospel, but with two different assignments. Barnabas, he's a people person. And he's actually known in, in the Bible as the son of encouragement. Uh, He was anointed as a builder of the body of Christ, specifically through connecting and investing in and believing in people. And in fact, Barnabas is actually the one, after Paul's conversion from Saul, uh, when they were still unsure about him, he was the one that helped others in the faith come around to Paul. And he actually helped introduce Paul uh, to everyone. And Barnabas is, is going, hey, let's bring John Mark along. We need him. I believe in him. But then you've got the Apostle Paul, who has a divine assignment to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring about the obedience of faith. That's his assignment. He's laser-focused on his assignment to preach the Word of God and strengthen the churches. And he accepts a responsibility that he carries that if anyone leaves or quits or is not operating to a standard, then it compromises the mission. He's saying to Barnabas, this is too important of a mission to be sentimental and pastoral right now. He's like, I'm an apostle. I feel Paul. I've been there. I feel what he's feeling. I know his struggle well. But the contention was sharp. They both were set apart for the work to which God had called them, it says in Acts 13.2. They both were gatekeepers. They both were gardeners for the kingdom. But they had unique assignments. And so it doesn't really tell us in, these, in the scriptures, but it was established either by them 
or by the Lord allowing it, uh, that both assignments were needed for the gospel. Barnabas took John Mark with him to Cyprus for the work of the gospel, and Paul took Silas with him through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches for the work of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, even in the, through the contention, they then stayed on their assignments. And I want to declare over every one of you in this house right now that you have an assignment. You have an assignment, son. You have an assignment, daughter of the Lord, on your life right now. And it's time to begin administrate what heaven is orchestrating. It's time to administrate what heaven is orchestrating. And a disciple has discipline. It's not legalism. It's freedom. It's freedom. For so long, there's been such a focus in the church on not having a performance mentality that it's created a lack of discipline and commitment and personal responsibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the standard of God's word and to the assignment that's on your life from heaven. And I've discovered that uh, there's plenty of visionaries that can start something and that's important. Someone's got to take a step of faith or nothing will happen. Uh, but there are, there are very few that stay focused on their assignment. There are very few that stay committed their, to their assignment and that finish their assignment well. Uh, there's a man, I'm almost done, by the name of George Hickox, who's a master bird dog trainer. Y'all know I love a good hunting dog story. He's a master bird dog trainer. And on a, on a hunt once, his German pointer uh, named Broadway ended up getting about a mile ahead of him and the others. And as, he's, as this Broadway's on the hunt, he comes upon a covey of quail. And so when he did, uh, as trained, he does what he's supposed to do, and he goes on point. He goes on point so that when his master gets there, uh, his master will know where the covey of quail is. The problem was that George... Uh, he was a mile away, and because of the distance and other things going on with his other dogs and other people in the hunt, uh, it took him. He didn't get to Broadway on point until an hour later, one hour. And when he got to Broadway, there was his dog. Hadn't moved a muscle, silent, on point. What a sight with a covey of quail ready to be flushed out. But as he approached him, he had porcupine quills all on the side of his face. All right, so at some point in that hour, uh, Broadway, when he goes on point uh, with a covey of quail ready to be flushed out, flushed out at some point, a porcupine had come by and swatted him in the nose, leaving bloody quills all over the side of his face, which is very painful. And George, he said that any other dog would have yelped and whimpered and whined back to their master, but he said Broadway was always set apart. He said he was focused. Broadway knew that he was trained and born uh, to do this, and he was not about to let some porcupine walking by get him off of his point and I share that because I feel and I know that maybe some of you have been swatted in the nose maybe you've caught a few quills in the snout maybe you've lost your focus and got off of your assignment there's been God-ordained plans for your life but once you experienced a setback once some porcupine came by and you didn't have discernment and a foolish person or an evil person got in that was against your assignment and your destiny you got off your point but I'm here to tell you, I got a lot of good news this morning. I got more good news for you. It's not too late to get back on point. Yeah. 
It's not too late to get back on point. And hallelujah, hallelujah that Jesus, he knew his assignment. He didn't lose focus. He stayed committed. He was tempted. He was accused. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was beaten and hung on a cross. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. And I'm so thankful that he didn't decide to go do something different. I'm grateful that after it got difficult, he didn't decide to leave the ministry wounded by foolish and evil men. Hallelujah, what a Savior, what a King who stayed focused on his assignment. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah, now I have a purpose and now I have a destiny. Well, see, we stand up with me. Worship team, will you come back up? Go ahead and put your hands out in front of you. Go ahead and put, out, put your hands out in front of you. Begin to, begin to respond to the word of the Lord this morning. And I want to ask you this question. What is in your hands? What is in your hands? What do you got right now? JL didn't have a weapon. All she had was a tent peg. What do you got? What do you have? What has God given you that you can go into all the world with right now? That's where you start. That's your assignment. It doesn't mean your assignment won't grow into something new. It means what is in your hand right now that you've been called to be a gatekeeper and a gardener over and start there. Who is in front of you every day looking for leadership, looking for protection, looking for wisdom, looking for truth and life? Start there. Start right there. And it's not by your might. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I declare right now, fire the Holy Spirit burn in every heart right now. Fire the Holy Spirit, burn in every soul, burn in every mind, burn and strengthen the saints right now. I declare, Holy Spirit, release a supernatural discernment to discern the times we are in, a supernatural commissioning and anointing to get back on point, to get on assignment, and to be gatekeepers and gardeners of this hour in the name of Jesus. And fear not, says the Lord. Fear not, says the Lord. He says, I've anointed you. You have an anointing. You have a calling. You are a gatekeeper. You are a gardener administrating what heaven is orchestrating. Do not say, I am too old. Do not say, I am too young. Do not insult the spirit of grace that is upon you for your assignment. Do not say that someone else's assignment is more important than my assignment. Do not say, I have been the fool you were talking about, Jeremy, for too long. Do not say, I've been backsliding for too long. If that's you this morning, repent this morning, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And step into the freedom this morning that it's never been about you. It's about Jesus in you. Stop being religious and thinking you're not qualified because of who you are or what you've done. Jesus is exchanging your record for his record right now, and he qualifies you to step into the battle. So step in. Gatekeepers and gardeners, step in. Step in. Step in. Arise, 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 arise. Step in.
step in. Gatekeepers, gardeners, arise and step in. If you want to make a declaration this morning that you're stepping into your assignment, you start coming forward. Just come on forward. Come on up, come on up front. Come on forward. Children are coming in too. Come on, children. Come on, step in, children. Yeah, we're getting on assignment for you. We're getting on assignment for this generation. Come on. Come on, if you want to make a declaration that you're stepping into assignment, come on forward. If you want to make a declaration that you're stepping into purpose, you're stepping into destiny, this is it. Come on. Come on. Step in. Whatever you need to do to make a declaration this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on.